0: I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse.
1: Well, hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, which is our Disney-themed podcast for the Front Row Network. And my name is Craig. I'm excited to be here with you all today. I've got today my co-host, Brett Rutherford. Hello! Now, Brett, uh, this is the second episode in a row that we don't have Vanessa. I know. Oh. It's so. Kind of sad. I'm like going, I think we've all done the iterations
0: of, because I didn't do one, so you all did it, so. Mm. Anyway, but we need to get her back because we miss her. I miss well,
1: her. here's the deal. I know that you two argue about whether or not the turkey leg is a legitimate food item at uh-huh. Disney World. So um I, yeah. I wish that you would put that behind you so she would, <laughs> she would come back on the podcast because Oh, is that the
0: reason? I thought it was yo I I called her Judy one too many times. That's a whole nother you'll see. Yeah. Well you'll hear about it, you know. Whenever I finish that podcast, which is very soon, but anyway, our Disney our Disneyland Vacationette podcast is where The Judy reference comes in, and I think everyone will be calling her Judy. It's a whole thing.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And that's going to drop later on this month. It'll be on our feed only episode, so so make sure that if you're on there um, to go ahead and subscribe to our feed because then you'll listen to all of your adventures in Disneyland. I will say that today we are talking about the 34th animated classic for Disney, uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame. But this is our 33rd episode of Beyond the Mouse, oh, and wow. so here's the deal, had, had the Disneyland episode come out, um, maybe in a slightly more timely manner, then we would have really had some symmetry here. You know, that's
0: in- really interesting to think, because now the next uh, episode is going to be without you. It's just going to be about <laughs> awesome
1: Thanks for bringing that up. No. Uh, that's a great rebuttal. Uh, that's, yes. That's a great rebuttal. We are here uh, today with the cast of Springfield Theater Center's Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I I cannot be more excited to have all of you on the podcast, I think, for yeah. the first time. Yeah, I've never been Which is sort of incredible I to know. think I don't about know how you. I don't know how you've avoided us. I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know. But I have one of the directors here with me, uh, Jacob Dieters. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. Thank you so much. That's great. Uh, these two get a little bit of a second to think about it. But on the Front Row Network, oh, we God. have a we have a tradition
2: oh, for new guests. Yes. And you probably oh, I should it. have known <laughs> to come with this. Every and, single
0: person yeah. says that. Oh. And because my little thing. Okay, the thing that I say is you can... You you can have two, your favorite Disney film, okay. and then your favorite all-time film. Mm, okay. So, I know those are my rules. I'm sorry, they're my oh, rules. favorite oh, Disney gosh. film. We broke that the first time Vanessa and I were on. <laughs> I'm like,
2: like, oh, right, breakers. So my favorite Disney film of all time, it is... It would have to be The Lion King. I am just oh, a, no, I, okay. that, that, for me, it, when I, when I was, when I was growing up, I had, it was just, I would watch it literally every day. And it was just something that I, um, so that I, 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 just loved. It was something that I, that I grew up with. And, um, I, you know, it just, I had a, a Lion King birthday party. It was just everything for me. Oh, so that's be be so, awesome. Yeah, that It's so cute. So um, who
1: lifted you up at the birthday <laughs> <laughs> party? Uh, as if you were a yes. Uh Yes. But um, what's your favorite movie of all time?
2: Um, I, I'm going to get a lot of slack for this. because it, it is a guilty pleasure, and I just love watching this movie. It's The Goonies. I just oh, freaking love The movie. Goonies. I, I know people are like, it's not, a, it's not like a, you know. <laughs> that's okay. It's, so, it's, I, that's love okay. I love doing um, I'm more of a class. I, li- I like the, the fun films. Sure. Yeah.
1: Sarah Geckner, who, of course, hosts our Are You Afraid of the podcast with uh, her husband, Jeremy, she always says that her favorite movie is Gone with the Wind because she wants to sound classy, but her real favorite movie is
2: The Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Um, We have something to connect with now. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Now we'll go ladies first here. Jasmine French, how are you? (laughs) I am well, thank you. So excited to have you uh, with us today, but you got to answer the questions too. Favorite (laughs) Disney movie, favorite movie of all time.
3: Okay. Okay. Favorite Disney movie is Beauty and the Beast. Oh, um yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm. Th- look, okay. I'm <laughs> pathetic. Hey. Like I know what's gonna happen <laughs> at the <laughs> end, and I still tear up. Wake like, up, oh. like, oh, Beast. Yeah. But yeah. So Beauty and the Beast, and then my favorite movie. <laughs> okay, The Breakfast Club. Oh, <laughs> so great. Okay, that's so great. That's good. good. Classic.
1: Love it. Is absolutely and. West Bridges, how are you?
4: I am great, sir. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm great. So you know the questions. Give me the answers.
4: She's so mine. Mine is actually Beauty and the Beast for Disney. Um, I, I just love watching the, the Beast evolve into, like, not just a monster, but, you know, there's a, a, a man behind the monster.
2: Oh, my gosh. Uh, mm. We might we might be pulling mm. out these things <laughs> a little <laughs> bit later awesome. today. Interesting. Awesome.
4: Awesome. Awesome, <laughs> um, oh, hmm. But uh, favorite all-time film has to be Superman with Christopher Reeve. Oh, man. Such
1: a great... Gene Hackman plays the best. Lex Mm -hmm. Luthor. yes. Uh, just an amazing film all around. And, of course, we just recently lost Lois Lane, which mm-hmm. is uh, super sad. Um, but, but I wanted to talk and ask you particularly about why you decided to bring Hunchback and Notre Dame as a musical to the Springfield Theater Center and what all uh, you've been doing
2: in preparation to yes. get to opening night. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, so this has been about a year, a collaborative effort with uh, one of my good friends, Kevin Colvick, who's actually co-directing the show with me. Um, couldn't, make, couldn't make it today, but uh, we are excited to tell Make sure I mention his name. Um, this we this is our first time our first time putting on a main stage production, um, and we wanted to do something that was new to Springfield that had never been done. We wanted to um, do something that I think was very relevant and very meaningful to to the, the Springfield community. And I think that the messages and themes that that come through Hunchback are what really drew us to the material here. Um, so that is something that I. Um, really wanted that I really valued when i when I was reading reading the script and reading and listening to the music was just the fact that it is so relevant and so current today um, so th- we've we 've talked a lot about kind of the the importance of of um, of the of making everyone feel like they are included and they feel welcome. And I think that that's the story that we we see, we see Quasimodo struggle throughout the, this entire production. Um, and so I think that, especially in, in kind of turbulent times in, in America, I think that that's what we need in, in our lives right now. So that's kind of what I think kind of the inspiration that kind of drew Kevin and I to, to this production.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that whole idea, you posted it today, uh, actually, in the Springfield mm-hmm. Theater group, um, about sanctuary for all, regardless mm-hmm. of who you are. Yep. And uh, that's a really uh, unique theme to, obviously, this show – meaning uh, has so many dual meanings there, you know, the Absolutely. obvious sanctuary of the cathedral, but then just the, the fact that uh, this show is welcoming to all people and uh, to talk about how Quasimodo is truly thought of at the uh, beginning as this, you know, monster. And then you get to delve deeper into him and see uh, sort of what lies underneath mm-hmm. all of that. Right. So, and we'll go to Quasimodo himself. So Wes, Wes, How has it been taking on this type of a role that, you know, people know about from, uh, of course, the Victor Hugo novel Mm -hmm. and uh, has been performed throughout history a ton of times in film. But what do you think about uh, this role? What brought you to it and kind of what's your uh, take on Quasimodo as a character?
4: Right. So although Hunchback is not like my favorite Disney movie, it's definitely in like my top three. um, Just because of how real um, the movie is, Um, you can watch it in almost, I think. Any generation, and you could find aspects of it that can apply um, between social justice issues just to personal, emotional um, things that we endure every day. Um, I think we all have endured at one point in our own lives, you know, some sort of uh, emotional trauma or hurt or experience that, um, you know, not everyone else gets that, you know, gets privy to know. And for Quasimodo, you get to see those sort of emotions and those kind of experiences told on stage, um, which really, I I think, in my opinion, helps you connect a little bit more Mm -hmm. and makes the show as a whole more relatable. Um, Quasi is an interesting character because you watch him grow the entire show. Um, He is timid. He's quiet. He's, well, I shouldn't say quiet per se, but uh, (laughs) he's on his own, you know, and he gets kind of thrusted into the world um and so go f- going from what he knew to what he learns is an amazing experience and, and i feel that the audience will really be able to connect with that and be like oh yeah i've i've done that or i've thought that i've been there um And, you know, he doesn't end up getting the girl. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But I think that, you know, that's also good to see that not everything ends in a picture-perfect way. And that's okay.
1: Yeah. That's all right. Absolutely. So uh, the other lead of this show and someone that really needs that, both of you really need those vocal chops to be able to do it. And that's why I'm so excited for this uh, particular production because both of you have such talent when it comes to singing and and vocalizing and everything. Uh, But we've got Esmeralda here as well. Esmeralda, uh, that I can say it correctly. Um, (laughs) We have Jasmine. So talk about how you came to this role, why it's interesting to you, and sort of your take on uh, who she is as a character.
3: So I came to this... What actually made me audition was um, when we did preview night for SCC season. I sang God Help the Outcast. And I was like, oh, that's just a beautiful song. I'm going to check out the rest of the soundtrack. And when I did, um, I was like, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> and I was like... And I was still on the fence. And then auditions came around. I was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. But um, what I find so interesting about esmeralda she's of course a, kind of like a walking contradiction like everyone sees her as like the um the kind of like the it girl the you know some she's referred to as a gypsy whore sometimes but she's very compassionate and kind you know caring and she has all of those elements and that's and you see that a lot in her friendship with quasimodo but she um she also
1: stands her ground no matter what the cost <laughs> so
3: <laughs> yeah
1: Absolutely. And none of that in your own life, right? (laughs) Hopefully (laughs) not. Not today. Well, it's... Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, Jacob, you and I talked a little bit about this show uh, a couple of weekends ago, Mm -hmm. I think, um, when we were getting ready for our other show that we're doing this summer. Uh, But you mentioned that this is actually a darker interpretation Mm -hmm. than uh, what the the movie might be. Now, I don't want spoilers because I feel like I was spoiled (laughs) on something here earlier uh, before we started recording, but... Talk a little bit about how the musical differs from the Mm -hmm. movie, Mm -hmm. uh, which, of course, we'll talk about the movie here in just a little bit. Yeah,
2: so um, the the, so the biggest change I think is comes with Frollo. So we um, Frollo in the movie is he's referred to as a judge. He's not even really referred to as as um, in the Victor Hugo novel and and, in the musical production is a archdeacon. So so of clergy um, of the clergy realm, and we we hear a lot of his backstory at the in the prologue of of this story and kind of Mm -hmm. how he um, how he came about to with with Quasimodo and, and how he how he uh, had him and it was the it comes from is actually his brother and so that we hear we kind of get the story about how his brother is um, has, has been super important to, in his life but he kind of took a different route and he took the the route where he was he was going to advance his his um, his ranks in the church and I think that's kind of where we we see a little bit of, of kind of the, the the major differences is that we get a little bit more of that church um, um, atmosphere with with uh, within Frollo. Um, so with uh, with frollo we, we definitely have that uh, the there's that kind of dichotomy with with his lust for, for Esmeralda he, he sees Esmeralda um, and so the, the, the movie hits upon it a little bit but I think that the stage production really delves into that a little bit deeper um, with with those themes and the I, I think overall too the the ending is a big change um, I won't reveal reveal how, how it ends uh, but it does um, it, it is a lot a lot closer to the the end of, or the, the book than it does to, to the film Film. Um, but it still, I think, has a beautiful message at the end um, of acceptance and love um, that that I think it really resonates with, with the film as well.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, God Help the Outcast. Uh, mm-hmm. We are still going to get those classic Disney mm-hmm. songs uh, from Alan Mankin and Stephen Schwartz mm-hmm. that we've come accustomed to, mm-hmm. correct? Is that uh, Wes, do you want to speak to the music of the show?
4: Yeah, um, actually, at, when watching the movie, um, you actually hear snippets of the songs that you don't get a full song of in the movie, yep. mm. those are actually more in the mm. show. Um, like Phoebus gets his own song and everything. Mm. And um, the music is so beautiful because you have not only, you know, your your solos and everything, but you have more Gregorian chant, more cathedral mm. style music because uh, we have an onstage choir mm. who sound amazing. Yeah, so Mad props to them. Um, and it's just awesome going through that fluidity that Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz do. Um, as geniuses that they are they're able to just flow seamlessly from song to song and um, just collectively one of the best in my opinion one of the best musical scores um Mm.
2: That exists. It's just, it's just so rich. It's yes. just, it, there's so much, so much content to it. And actually, fun fact is that if, if you notice on the logo of, of Hunchback, usually most Disney musicals have Disney's The Beauty and the Beast or whatever. So actually, Disney didn't want to put the label above Hunchback and Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. it, the title is actually the, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then with songs from the the Disney film. So oh, technically, I see it's, that. Okay. Disney. The, Disney. I mean, there's obviously still getting licensed. They're getting lots of money from from you know from from the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, that is actually because because of the I think the darker. Of the show, I, I think I, I would assume that's probably why they didn't want to maybe put the title right. Disney right above The Hunchback. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I know that uh, I keep uh, checking in here, and it looks like Facebook Live has given us a little bit of grief. So, not sure if we're a hundred percent live or, or not, <laughs> uh, but we're just going to keep talking because we've, we've got the recording going, regardless. So, um, sorry if you were watching us live and it keeps cutting in and out. I, I see the oh, yellow man. bar oh. right now. Um, Internet. Ah. Oh, we're back worst uh <laughs> best laid plan, so sorry if it 's cutting in and out, uh, but we can definitely you can hear the whole thing on our podcast uh, as well when we get that posted so um you know I want to talk a bit more about uh, the music because I, I feel like that 's such a powerful piece to the bringing a, a classic film into a musical setting, obviously, but you mentioned the on stage choir and some of the Gregorian chants and things like that so uh, jasmine how 's it been I mean I see uh, we 're on this beautiful set by the way, which yeah. we 're going to talk about in a second yes. uh, but <laughs> yes. I, I want to I want to hear from you how do you um, how does it feel having that like kind of being enveloped in that sound do you mm-hmm. kind of hear that choir behind you throughout here i know that they're staged right behind you how did do, how does that add to the piece
3: oh it adds so much life and just so much character in general just to have all of those you know voices and you just you get surrounded by it it's wonderful yeah i love it
1: yeah <laughs> that's absolutely um and so let's talk about the set who's your set designer yeah who it, who put this all together? Because this is a beautiful set. I mean, it's just incredible. It is, yes. It's yes. nice to be in the in the midst of it while we're recording mm-hmm. here. It's uh, a really very impressive set. I I've already told Wes I am concerned about that piece right there. <laughs> uh, we had
2: to build out because we, we just we, we wanted we wanted to get as close as we, as we could to the action or to the, the audience as possible, and so uh-huh. we actually had to build out the, the pit a little bit so that we could um, make sure that we were, our, our actors were staying safe up here. But it, it's got to be one of the most impressive sets I've seen on the Holdens' stage in a long time. So, uh, talk that. about
1: who designed yeah. it, who built it. Do give yes. him some uh, credit. We'll get here. some
2: credit. So, um, the, the, set, the set designer was uh, Ryan Fisher, um, great friend of mine, and um, this is his first time actually um, putting uh, putting a, a set on on stage and getting a design out there. He he I, I, When I asked him to, to do the show back in the summer, two weeks later he had this this drawn out for me. Oh, wow. It was inc- incredible, and we have kept pretty true to what um, what his original design was. Um, the, uh, the theme in, in the in the in the novel and in the movie and in the music is the architecture. So the the whole um, aspect of the statues and gargoyles and um the banisters and the cathedral style we wanted to keep true to that and so that's why we, we have these wonderful um these wonderful banisters that we've used um and the statues and gargoyles really use the set um to to tell help tell that story and so um kevin kolovic our um the, one of the co-directors was kind of the master builder in, in in kind of bringing this to life um and we were just super ecstatic with with how it turned out
1: yeah, and I want to talk a bit more about uh, your theater experiences in general mm-hmm. as well before we really dive, started to talk into the story about The Hunchback of Notre Dame and that, kind of how all that uh, ties together. But, you know, you've mentioned Kevin a couple of times yeah. here, but this is your first directing yeah. gig, really, right? Yep. And And uh, we know, we love Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> Deeply. But we know you're doing the lion's share of the work here, right? So uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about how it's been getting on that side of yeah, the table absolutely. and uh, what's different that you notice mm-hmm. from being a director as opposed to yep. being an actor on stage. Because in your own right, you are an extremely talented actor. Thank you. And we're going to get to see you later in yes. town uh, this summer as well. Good. But um, but talk to me a little bit
2: about being a director. Yeah. So um, Kevin and I, we've we've done um, kind of little cabaret shows. We've, we've directed um, First Night and stuff like that. And so we had always wanted to bring something to the stage. It had to be the right time and the right co- show and the right content. Um, and for us, um, we, I, th- I think we, I mean, we, we're, we're great, great friends. And I think that we have such a unique, different perspective that I, our partnership works so well together. Um, I kind of have the artistic vision and he has really the, the means to, um, execute those, those for me. Um, there's been, I, I, the cast can attest that we're, we we argue so much because, <laughs> um, I want this awesome vision. Kevin's like, there is no possible way we're going to do that. And so, um, it really is a great partnership that we can, um, bring this and kind of bring the show to life in, in, a, in a really fashionable way. Um, so it, it's interesting because everything that I wanted to do, um, that, I, that I thought I, as being a director when I was an actor, um, I, you know, I, I always said, oh, I wish I, I, if, if I was directing this, I would do this, I would do this. I, I'm sure you all think the exact same thing whenever <laughs> I'm up there. And so it's, there's, it's just an interesting thing to think about, the fact that we – um, that directors, you, we have such the liberty to take the show in whatever direction we want to take it in. And it's, um, it's been a, a challenging but very rewarding process for me and for Kevin, uh, specifically with, with this show. I, I know that it's, it's, it's something that it's, it's exciting to get, get on stage and, and to put a, a first production out to, to the audience. And I'm excited to see what, what people have to say. I, I always love hearing critiques and, and hearing how we can make the show better and what we can do. Um, so when Kevin and I continue to direct, I, I hope um, that we can continue to, to um, uh, collaborate and, and, and make our shows even better for the next... Sure.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the things that you have to do is make sure you put the right people in the right places. Absolutely. And, and uh, based off of the outsider's perspective, seeing some of your photos and things like that, um, and then hearing a snippet of your orchestra rehearsal, it just it seems like you've got a great cast. Mm-hmm. You obviously have a great crew that's helping yeah. you out. So that's a, a lot, a big portion Absolutely. of the battle for sure. Absolutely. Um, now talk about more of the acting side. Jasmine, this is, I, and tell me if I'm wrong, this is your second show in town. Yes. And the first show here at the Hoagland Center. Yeah. Uh, you were wonderful. <laughs> In Sister Act last summer, but you. you're no stranger to the stage because you've done a lot of shows in the Edwardsville area and all of that, um, right? Yeah, I
3: did a. Before I got here, I had done four shows. Sister Act was actually my fifth. Um, so, yeah, show number six. You've but, only done
1: six shows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're so good. Like I,
3: mean, I started when I was in my 20s, so okay. um, something I wish I had experienced a little younger, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> She's making up for it. She good, yeah. It
3: now. But um, uh, I think. Acting wise, what I enjoy about this role, I get to bring out a different side than what I usually mm-hmm. play. So I feel like most of the characters I usually have the same, similar
1: traits. Mm-hmm. In this
3: one, I get to, I get to really use my acting chops a little bit more. Good.
1: <laughs> so. That's great, Wes. Well, talk about your acting experience and uh, uh, sort of how you got involved to come to the stage as well, because you've been in several productions, uh, yes. all of them very well done. Okay. And you're, you know, I think you're a perfect person for this lead role because of the require the not only the acting ability you need to have, the music ability that you need to have, you really need to be someone that can carry a show. And I feel like uh, you've prepared yourself to be in that position uh, before in multiple great roles that you've played. So talk a little bit about the acting side of things and and how you come to theater in general.
4: Well, thank you for that, Craig. I I really do appreciate it. Uh, I was talking with Brett beforehand, and between me and my wife in the last four years, we've been involved in over 20 productions, either cast, crew, or staff. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that um, I care about deeply because um, I mean one it's always nice to get outside yourself Mm -hmm. and and play someone different or uh, play yourself just in a different way Um, for quasi it's uh, very different because you're playing what you usually don't show to other Mm -hmm. people Um, it's all those inlaid um, emotions and feelings and everything and um, I, I feel that you know, the more challenging the role, the more it grows you as as a performer, as an actor, as an artist. And uh, honestly, hands down, um, the most challenging role I've ever experienced. And I, I thank Kevin and Dieter's for giving me this opportunity. Um, I just love theater, so I mean, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Well, correction, I will. I have a one year old now. Uh, <laughs> so take bye. a little break, but uh, a little quasi. It's a little quasi. A little quasi yeah. yes. but, It's just an amazing – this show is just an amazing experience for an actor on whatever level that may be, Um, you know, whether you're playing quasi, whether you're being a statue gargoyle, whether you're in the choir, just because of how it melds everything together Mm -hmm. and makes it not just, you know, you have your your principals or your congregation, you know, your – entirely one show Mm -hmm. i don't feel like there's that kind of separation that you have with some other productions and and i'm not knocking those productions at all because every show has its own style but this is definitely a show of unity and everything and as as much as i may be the hutchback it is not my show but our show
1: yes absolutely so starting to wrap up this discussion about the production before we get into the the classic film brett do you have anything that you wanted to ask these fine folks we what's could probably the hardest- talk for hours know, about yeah. Uh, yeah. about Bruce, this particular production. What's What's the one thing
0: that's been hardest for you, or something that surprised you?
1: Um. A director, too. Oh, okay, Anyone?
3: hardest. <laughs> Or most challenging. Okay,
1: we um, have to set aside. We already talked. Dealing with Kevin is. Uh,
0: <laughs> I that's, love Kevin. That's all is he loves like, like,
1: talking smack about poor Kevin.
0: I love Kevin Kolovich, and he, <laughs> he does, does, he does. <laughs> so uh, Kevin is laughing
3: at this. I did tell him he always seems like he's not impressed.
2: <laughs> I went
3: to my audition. I'm like, he's no, not I'm impressed.
2: impressed. <laughs> well, that is a very accurate description. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hardest, uh, most difficult part was. Um, probably it wasn't exact. it wasn't completely difficult but I did have to like reach back into some of my classical training mm-hmm. I played so many parts where I can just um, belt out and kind of lock that training away and now I got to like dig it back out so well, that's yeah. good wow
4: <laughs> that's a good answer good answer um, for me since Quasi is hearing impaired he's also uh, got some physical development issues as well as intellectual uh, development issues um, it's been a challenge portraying that in a manner that isn't demeaning, um, to people that experience those on a daily basis, um, and make sure that they are elevated. And I I definitely want to make sure that they, they feel dignified. Uh-huh. um through my performance we also use sign yeah. uh, a lot in the show so that's been the challenging is making sure that we're honoring to those people while staying true to the character
1: uh, so speaking of that you know usually stc shows don't necessarily have an asl interpreter but i know that you are bringing in one for one of your performance yes right? yeah they're,
2: they're, they're, we're gonna have one one uh, pr- um one production that, that our fi- or one show our final show is going to be um we, we will have an interpreter on site if, if someone is is uh, needing that accommodation so. that is awesome
1: that's incredible just opening up theater for all uh, uh, which is yes. so wonderful. Um, you got yes, uh, your challenging right. moment. Yeah. You can't say your two leads. They're right here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, you
2: can say it. It's uh, it's right. Right. Um, I, I, diva. I, I really feel like... I, <laughs> I, I feel for me it was it, it's it was it was the blocking of the show it is the so um, just to give a little more background about the the rest so we have our we have five wonderful leads but we also have congregants uh, we call them congregants um, they really do tell the story the entire time so they're the ones that are actually narrating so it's, it's, it really embraces that storytelling theater um, so a lot of times when the action's happening we have storytellers that are watching or narrating what's going on and so um, it, it was it was hard to think think and kind of envision it without having the set and so two weeks ago when we finally got the set up it, it all came together for me but um i think that would be the, probably the most challenging was just staging this this massive production we have the choir that's in the back um uh, that is upstage that we just that we we couldn't really do anything about we have to keep them there um so they can see our, our conductor and we had these um these kind of limitations that we had to we had to keep in mind uh, through throughout the blocking process and, and staging so that was probably but i like i said once we got this the, the set in there it's all came together and i was like yes okay yes. it's it's working Heavy so. sigh. Yes, yes you see your show. that's
1: so good
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah perhaps the most important question how do people get
1: tickets? When are the when is the production? All of that jazz. Who wants to take that for me? Yes, do
2: you. you know. I know part of the. Answer. All right, go <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see what's your what's your part of. You know the dates. I'm hoping. I, yes, I absolutely okay. know well, the dates. Okay.
3: The <laughs> <laughs> so it's April 5th through 7th. So we open tomorrow night. Uh, Saturday, Friday, and Saturday shows are at eight. Sunday shows are at two. And then we also go the 12th through the 14th, which is next weekend as well. You can get tickets at H. CFTA. org. I do not know the number by heart, but you can also call. <laughs> it, it, is it is five two, two three two, three two
2: three seven eight seven. There you well, go. So uh, tickets are, tickets are twenty dollars, um, uh, and then eighteen dollars se- for seniors and children as well.
1: So. so uh, 523 Arts is what the Hogan you wants go. you to remember. Yeah. The, way that, the way that I remember it is 5-2-Farts. So that also, <laughs> oh, that I like also that. works. Uh, so you can <laughs> you can dial that number, get some tickets to your wonderful oh, show. Please come out. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break on the podcast, but then we're going to come back and talk about the classic Disney film, which happened to be, by the way, Disney CEO's Michael Eisner's uh, favorite animated film that uh, Disney's ever done, So, mm. which is kind of an interesting tidbit. So we'll be back in just a second. Bye.
0: And now ladies and gentlemen the pierster is star.
4: Here it is the moment you've been waiting for Here it is you know exactly what's in store Now's the time we
3: laugh until our sides get sore Now's the time we cry
1: Let's talk a lot about the Disney classic film, Uh, and one of, you've mentioned it before, uh, the stage adaptation is a darker film, but truly, even the the Disney film is a darker interpretation of of some of the, uh, it's a darker direction than what they had been doing at this point in the Disney Renaissance, Mm -hmm. of course, which started with Little Mermaid and then went through with uh, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, and uh, then the summer before this was Pocahontas, which is a Mm -hmm. little bit of a more serious turn, kind of going into more of a historical aspect, and then they take a a sharper turn into historical fiction and really adapting one of those great novels uh, of someone that does have a bit of a darker personality and a, mm-hmm. a darker tenor than what we're used to seeing in a Disney film but talk about the first time you saw this movie and what your first impressions were did you all see it as kids or yes, mm-hmm. yes absolutely uh, yeah so Brett.
2: Brett.
1: what was a
0: wee six-year-old no, I was, no actually, okay well well I'll go first, since, well, I saw it, you know, uh, anyway. (laughs) Okay, I saw it with a cast. I saw it with a, um, with, uh, let's see, it was with the cast of, what was the first, um, uh, uh, Oh, Phantom. I saw it with Ooh. the cast of Muni's, Muni, the Springfield Muni Opera's Phantom. Because you know how casts can become families, you know, that sort yes. of thing. And you sort Absolutely. of extend the time that you have on stage with, you know, events afterwards. And we did that. So it was a, it was a cast outing after the show. So, which was my second Muni show in, uh, uh, it was in 1996
1: then, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Summer of 1996 is when Mm -hmm. this came out. So, uh, what, about 23 years old Mm -hmm. at this point, which Mm -hmm. is crazy to think about. But Jasmine, when is the first time you had seen this film and kind of what were your first impressions of it?
3: So I was really little when uh, I first saw it. I was three when it came out. Um, So I honestly, I don't remember the very first time I saw it, but I do remember, like, seeing it when I was little. I just remember being scared of Frollo. Frollo is terrifying. When you're four, Frollo is like, oh, my God.
1: When you're 32, Frollo
0: is scary (laughs) in this movie. Well, I mean, Vanessa, I mean, hello, Vanessa. We're bringing you, I think she thinks Frollo is, I think, the, the darkest Disney. It, uh, I would night. say it's definitely yeah, up that, in the top oh, yeah. of them. Think, You
1: know, I think that there's. You, there, of course they're going into this whole backstory with Maleficent, and Maleficent si- sort of cited as this true Disney villain. But uh, when you're watching Sleeping Beauty, other than turning into this huge dragon, I mean, she doesn't like. But this guy is really menacing, and I mean, from the very the the get go, he's. He sees Quasimodo and looks over at a well like he's going to kill this baby, you know, in the first two minutes of the movie. It's yeah. incredible. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, totally, <laughs> totally agree with you there that uh, this, this really takes a darker tone right mm. from the very beginning. But yeah. uh, I interrupted you. Did you have anything else to mention about the first impressions of the film?
3: Um. Nope, that was, really, that was really my main part. And I just re- I remember as a kid, Frollo stuck out the most. I'm like, he's mean and he's scary, and yeah. I don't want to meet him.
4: Nope. <laughs> Wes, what about you? Not the meet and um, greet I want. I was just a little <laughs> bit older than Jasmine. I, I was uh, seven when it came out, and um, I didn't appreciate it for what I do now, um, honestly, because True. I feel like the beauty in the movie is the underlying tones. For me as a kid, I... I saw, ooh, jumping statues and like this croissant shaped dude just uh, (laughs) hopping from building to building. (laughs) And so, croissant shaped. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I, I really, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I enjoy it so much more now as a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I
1: distinctly remember um, as a kid, because I watched it again last night and uh, the, the guy that gets out of the stocks or whatever, and he's just like, I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> <and> <laughs> dang it. Dang it. And it happens a couple times in the film. Like it just, I love those little bits of humor that Disney's still able to bring in oh, to so. make this a palatable movie for yeah. kids. Uh, because that's definitely one of the things I remember uh, distinctly from my first viewing of this movie. But mm-hmm. Jacob, what about yeah. you?
2: Um, I you, uh, was about, I think, about probably seven or eight when uh, when I finally actually saw it. I, I don't think I, I didn't think I saw it in theaters when I was younger. But um, so it was. Um, I think for me, the kind of the first first, like everyone else, that, kind of that the dark side of Frollo. And um, but I really distinctly remember the colors of this movie. I think yeah. there's something so the light, the dark, the colors really just stick out to me. I think, and I, I think Disney does a great job in, in in all of their movies using colors, but specifically in this one, I think that there is something so unique Unique about the the using the dark and light elements, and then also in Topsy Turvy using these fun, um, extravagant colors. Um, really, I think stuck out to me the most.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, talk a little bit about the voice casting in this particular film. You and Brett, it. you've got the full yes, cast list in front maybe of maybe you. But, uh, it, uh, it,
4: Demi Moore. Demi Moore. I made Demi.
1: <laughs> Not
0: made <me>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, I think. Well, they had you know the um, the gargoyles were kind of, uh, well, they were, you know, it isn't stunt casting, but it is celebrity casting. Superstars of the time, yeah. So Jason Alexander was Hugo, and let's see, and the guy from uh, Murphy Brown Mm -hmm. is, and then my favorite actor, one of my favorite actresses, Mary Wicks, was, uh, Mary Wicks was Laverne, But um, Charles Kimbrough, Kimbrough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Charles Kimbrough. But um, I think there's interesting when I was looking through this. I mean, you know, now we have IMDb and can look at this. But but there is some since this is kind of a theater episode as well. There's some serious theater talent in probably behind the scenes. But anyway, let's see. Uh, let's see Victoria Clark who was, um, well, she was in the Light in the Piazza. She was Mm -hmm. the fairy godmother in Cinderella on Broadway. Um, Let's see, Judy Kay, who was, um, anyway, she was in, um, she was Carlotta in um, Phantom of the Opera, but just done a million things. And we have someone who is actually from the greater Springfield area, specifically Rochester, Peter Samuel, known locally as Pete Samuel, who um, who did Muni shows, grew up doing oh. Muni shows, and oh. uh, actually, you know, came back to the Hoagland when we were um, when it was kind of moving towards becoming more of an art center, and uh, and he performed uh, um, a role in the Les Mis um, concert that we had hmm. here. That he actually, um, yeah, he was in Les Mis on Broadway. So mm-hmm. so that sort of brings it local. Besides, you know, Demi Moore, um, and who. Who sang for Demi? Who is the voice?
4: Hmm.
1: I'm sorry, I don't have that. But anyway. You mean she didn't sing? <laughs> I don't
4: think, Well, I don't know.
0: Did
1: she? I don't know. I, well, I, 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 honest, don't know I know. honestly don't know either, but I do know that, um, what right. they were able to do in this film is to bring in some of those powerful voice talents because we are in the, the middle of where Disney just can't go wrong in the nineties. Right. So, um, they're able to bring in uh, bigger star power, bigger names because they have larger budgets because, um, at the time that little mermaid came out and, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner are trying to put this whole thing together. Uh, the studio was in a bad spot. I mean they were almost gonna be sold sold off for pieces before Eisner came in. And so uh this is definitely one of those first films because it took a couple of years of production where they were able to get some of these stars uh, to be able to, to be in their films. And of course now Disney films all around, whether it be live action remakes or the star Wars films or Marvel films, they, they get the largest stars in the world. And I feel like this is one of those first films where they were really trying to go in and reach out and get that star pal- talent for uh, being part of the voiceovers mm-hmm. as well, well.
0: With Demi and Kevin Klein. And Tom Holtz? yeah, you know who has a great voice.
1: Anybody uh, particularly stand out to you from the acting side of things? Um, I, and you don't necessarily need to know who played them, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, were there any roles in the film that just really stand out as uh, a great job of the voiceover talent or acting chops uh, to you?
3: Um, I thought I fell on Phoebus. yeah, excellent in the animated, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, they really help to to carry the show, um, and it's, like I said, the, the menacingness of Frollo has to really be counteracted, and uh, the dichotomy between Phoebus and Frollo is a really strong mm-hmm. point of this entire story because they're trying to present— uh, such a large novel, such a large story in a short amount of time in a Disney window of an hour and 30 minutes and in order to do that you have to have a great script writer but also you have to have actors that can really help you feel that tension immediately and that, yeah. that's the first time Phoebus comes on stage. You, you are on the film you just see that, yeah. um, that tension between mm-hmm. them but do you have anybody
2: you want to mention? Um, for me specifically the, uh, I mean Jason Alexander and the, and the other, the, the gargoyles it, it, they, they really do bring such a kind of that it it just that twist of you know that humor and that um, really the kind of the targeting I guess kind of inner Quasimodo's thoughts and and dialogue and um, I think that it's just it's really unique and I thought that they did a great job in kind of um, characterizing some of those thoughts that Quasimodo has
4: yeah Wes anybody
1: in particular you want to call out
4: for me it was Demi Moore with with Esmeralda because you know she when you initially see her she is begging on the street so she is playing a peddler then she's being sultry and seductive um, for the dance and then she's got the tender warm heartedness but also that fiery passion you know justice and everything so there are so many sides again to Esmerelda as a character that, for me, she that was the standout. Yes, you got your creepy Frollo, but, I mean, you got someone who's really realistic. You
1: know, yeah, like and she brings a lot of, obviously, at this point, uh, she had just come off of A Few Good Men, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just a huge star power, uh, and she just does such a great job. And maybe A Few Good Men, I, it might have come slightly after Hunchback, I don't know. IMDb it uh, <laughs> and yell at me later. Um, but no, I, I really think that she brings a lot to this film as well. Um, what's cool about this film is it's the same creative team as Beauty and the Beast. So you have the same directors. Uh, you have Alan Menken uh, writing the music and then of course um, we, we have Stephen Schwartz coming on uh, to do a lot of the music and lyrics as well with Alan Menken. Um, but what's neat about this is I think that they took some of the concepts that they had in uh, Beauty and the Beast and moved those over Into uh, the streets of France Uh, Different location in France I guess they stayed in the country (laughs) But you know uh, In particular Talk about that first opening number Mm -hmm. um, Because this is The bells of Notre Dame Is a great wide scope uh, opening number that really introduces you to this entire world. So, uh, I love that concept and Disney has done that, uh, over and over again now, but it was relatively new at the time when they started Mm -hmm. this. So how does that opening number
2: impact you to this film? I actually, I just, I was, when I was researching the show a little, um, a little bit to them in the movie, that was actually one of the last things that they actually brought to the movie. They weren't even, they, they were kind of toying with the idea of not, of kind of doing more of a dialogue opening. Um, but I think that when, when you incorporate that music, it really just brings uh, music for, for me really conveys, uh, just a story and I it, 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 I think it, it was so wonderful how it just kind of progressed that whole opening scene so you get this kind of wonderful background um, so that you are ready to, to move on in, into the streets of, of Paris even more so I think it was for me it was, it was a really powerful to, to kind of include music in, in that in that opening sequence
1: yeah and it, it ready made for Broadway right mm. yeah <laughs> and Alan Menken <laughs> we had talked about, about that? it yeah, yeah we had talked about it uh, when we talked about Beauty and the Beast a long time ago but Alan Manken, uh really the reason why he came on board with Disney was because um, I think it was Jeffrey Katzenberg went and saw uh, Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. on Broadway and then decided, or even off-Broadway off Broadway at that Broadway, time, yeah. and decided to bring him on board, and this is uh, you know, it, it's it's you can see the theater influence in this film much like you can in films like um, You know, like Beauty and the Beast and then also Circle of Life from Lion King. Mm -hmm. These are set piece. You know, you you are introducing the audience and it's really uh, carried through by music. And Mm -hmm. it's done in such a beautiful way and incorporates uh, some of that uh, Gregorian chant and Mm -hmm. uh, church music that, you know, you talked about this in playing Esmeralda Jasmine, but that you're not necessarily accustomed to having in a Disney film, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just a really fun and cool way to introduce the audience and to, to really show them uh, this entire world that you've created. So that's sort of my favorite scene of the movie, and I'm wondering what your favorite scenes might be. So uh, mm. let's talk to Wes first. Is there a particular moment uh, that it, comes gonna out? Oh, Are you going to take,
4: take it? I am not going to take oh. it. Oh. Thank you. I think that's where they're Quasimodo going, where they're himself going is
1: giving it up,
0: huh? Um,
4: because I assume you all go on Hellfire. No. Oh. No, it's then the best. Like, then I no, will mine take is it. the
0: mine. I just got to say, it. no. Just
1: anyway, go, anyway, go. Okay, Brett's go right, going first go right. now. Just it's the go best. Go it's it the best. I'm sign. It. I'm sorry, I am sorry. At the same time, I'm so one, sorry. two, three. Out there, right? Out
0: there, it's the best. I want song. It's one it of is. the best. It it's, uh, is, gosh. you know, the I want songs. It is just, yeah, chills to this day oh. for so many reasons. I'm sorry to go out of oh, turn man. being a host, <laughs> but I'm like going, I need it. No, it's a you no. Know, yeah, it's the best. I want song. No. Nope. Mm. Oh, it's just so good, <laughs> you know. And then, and it has some, you know. I mean, you can just listen to that in your daily life when mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh gosh. You know, if, if something is going slightly wrong, I'm like going, think of this situation. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like going, yeah, it's the best I want. So
1: i go ahead. Oh, oh, and oh, no. much like any, uh, any great, uh, <laughs> sorry, <we're, we're>, or, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're it's, our it's our show. show. We keep you here for a little bit, but, but it's really about us. Sorry. No. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got to, I've got to say something about that because, you know, that, that song, much like any good piece of music has so many multiple layers and multiple uh, meanings. Yeah. It's not just mm-hmm. going out into the streets of Paris from this bell tower that you're stuck in, but it's also just the, the fact of putting yourself out there uh, and also being able to just experience and live life, which to this point, Quasimodo hasn't had. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just an incredibly beautiful song uh sung in an incredibly beautiful way and yeah it's 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 one of the best nice. but now let's let our guests speak. okay Wes, uh i promise to not interrupt you <laughs> maybe i know I, I can't promise but go ahead
4: uh mine is actually god help the outcasts oh that yeah entire scene mm-hmm. i come from um classical training my, uh, myself and um my grandmother is actually 100 percent french she met my grandpa in world war ii She is Catholic. She went to Notre Dame. That, For me, the more we were in the building in that movie, the more I felt connected with my grandmother. Um, And the music behind it is just so beautiful. And not only that, but she is singing at God. uh, What we all think sometimes, you know, for those that come from the the Christian background, you know, sometimes is why... You know why can't you help right now? Mm-hmm. Why are you? Why is this going on? Why is this being allowed? Where do we go from here? Um, as much as I love out there and I love Hellfire, God help the outcasts is the the song that I go to when I think of this movie. Um, just again, the artistry behind everything, the music, the artist, um, beautiful. Um, Alan Menken and, and even Stephen Schwartz, because Stephen Schwartz had come off Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that them together is like the the perfect storm in the best perfect in the best way, you know, uh, imaginable. But yeah, so for me, it's God help the outcasts. Mm-hmm.
1: He stole your song. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> oh, there's well, a actually, of particular there's a moment of the film. My
3: yeah. favorite moment of the film is actually when you finally see that flip switch in Quasi, and he breaks free and goes and saves Esmeralda. Because you finally see, you know, him realizing how strong he is, and you know, not automatically doing everything from the Those movie, are chains
4: so. too. He breaks. Yeah, he
3: yes.
1: breaks Break when every chain. When, yeah. when, uh, <laughs> when he saves Esmeralda, who is being put to death by burning her at the stake, yeah. Yeah. like wins. this, it's
2: really, this is a Disney Apparently. movie. Oh, yes. but, uh, a G-rated Disney movie, which that's an <laughs> yeah. interesting fact as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, so I, well, I was once again I was doing a lot of research when I got the show, but in that IMDb trivia, (laughs) Um, but actually they they were, the, the creators thought there was going to be PG and they were very shocked when it came back and they said, Oh, it's G.
1: Uh, um, Well, if you think about, I mean, uh, they talk about damnation. They, um, hellfire is a song we're going to talk about for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's pretty incredible that Mm -hmm. this is a G rated film. Uh, Black Cauldron had been the last PG rated animated film that Disney had put out. So first, well, (laughs) and first, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, obviously got a sort of a, a, uh, sorted past, uh, as far as audience interaction to that film and, and what came out. But, um, yeah, so it's, Mm -hmm. it's no joke for sure, but you
2: got any particular moments you want to highlight? Um, my, um, favorite moment of the film and it comes at the end is when um, Esmeralda brings Quasimodo back after uh, out into the the square and you see the the, the, kind of the reactions of everyone is like whoa and you hear you just see this one little girl come up and just touch Quasimodo I think for me that is the essence of this film um, is the fact that um that there's humanity in every single person, um, that, that is out there. Um, and I think specifically the fact that a child does it, I think is something that speaks so much, um, to the fact that the children really are the future of our worlds. They, 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 you know, children, they grow up and they, they, they learn to hate, you know, they, they, they've, they've been taught to hate, but I think when you kind of come back to the whole, the whole aspect of this is a child that is showing compassion, I think that just it speaks wonders to the film. And I think that's the true essence of the film. Gives you the eye sweats. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So, Aww. Those eye sweats, I've never so. heard of it that way. Yes. Aww.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, specifically Hellfire as a song, just because mm. uh, when we're talking about a, a darker movie, you really do need that dark song <laughs> that Rollo sings, but Mission it is, yeah. uh, it Mission is, is something else. Like, like, I mean, he's Whoa. staring into this fire, and one of the things that uh, the animators had to go back and, and change a little bit, was actually Esmeralda's outline, uh, they thought that she appeared too nude, Mm -hmm. so they had to go back in and and add um, some more obvious clothing to her in this song, Uh, and there's obviously this weird, awkward (laughs) tension between (laughs) Esmeralda and Frollo anyway, that you really notice as an adult, but I think probably goes over the kids' heads a little bit. Um, It's just a weird song, guys. Uh, I I don't know if I... I think it's appropriate for this film, but... I can't say that I necessarily love that song. You know, I know. I, what are your... Wes, you mentioned that it's one of those moments that uh, you would say, you would highlight from the movie. Yeah. So what are your opinions on that particular song and how it's done?
4: Well, first off, just color-wise, mm-hmm. as, as uh, mm-hmm. Jacob had mentioned earlier, it's, you go from literally from Notre Dame, it zooms out, and then you're going into his chambers, and it is dark. <laughs> and, it, and it is... It, you just get that feeling that it's cold and everything, and that uh-huh. the only thing in that room that is of any light or warmth is that fire. And even in that fire, Frollo is seeing not warmth, but lust. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you kind of get these, the outlines of, I don't know if they're saints or or other judges, but they're looming over him, like even judging Frollo. So he's like, I don't know what to feel. <laughs> I, I, I love it and I hate it. But for me, it's a very real issue. Again, I mean... Uh, lust, but only kind of a self-contempt going on within Mm. him, I think, a little bit. Um...
0: But it's all her fault. There's projection. Yes, <laughs> so I'm like going. No, this that's not is, my yeah. fault. It's yeah. not. I don't have a problem. It's someone else. Psychiatrist dream. It's someone else. I'm like going. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um,
4: I just I, I appreciate songs and, and themes that have come out that are are very true. As much as we like those fights of fantasy and everything, whenever there's something to ground ground you back to be like, this is what we're kind of dealing with here. You know, Hellfire is one of those songs. Where you're like, this is dark, yeah. and we all know why. Yeah, because right. it's very real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're, you're yeah. seeing it.
1: He's yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned the the lighting, and I think that that's something that the animators really paid a lot of mm-hmm. attention to in this film. Uh, you know, Pixar is generally credited with kind of taking on a new environmental effort and uh, trying to test their animators. Uh, but in a way, the Dig- Disney Animation Studio was also doing that in this film. So mm-hmm. where, um, like, films... You know, Finding Nemo is a great example of like where they were like, we are going to focus on making water look good on a computer. Um, this is what we're going to do. But uh, this film really brings light to, mm-hmm. and it, it, it paints that beautiful picture, these great scenes of Paris and uh, the bells and everything else when Quasimodo just jumping around and, and going crazy, which I expect you to be hanging from the rafters here, right, <laughs> right. a little bit? I
4: will be climbing on things and hanging yeah. off of things. Wow, <laughs> oh, look, at so. you. look at you. I can't
1: great. wait. That's great. But but uh, yeah. I, we could probably talk all day about oh, this particular film. But one of the things we like to do, just so we're not completely said that we're a fanboys uh, through and through, <laughs> we like to say if there's anything that uh, sticks out as something that didn't quite work for you in the film. Uh, and for me, I think it would probably be the, the – the darker tone was fine. But I don't know if I would show this to my son, uh, yeah. you know, like yeah. right away. And it just seems like um, – maybe disney turned it up to 11 a little bit too much uh i think it works for the story but i don't know if it fits in that mold of what i assume to be a classic disney animated film uh and that's probably not what they were going for they were going for something different and experimental but it was just a little dark for me but is there any pieces of this puzzle that don't quite work for any of you uh we'll start with jacob and then we'll kind of go around the table oh
2: You'll start Off no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the top of my off the top off the top of my head, not uh, nothing really glaring at first, but I mean something will, might come up in this conversation. Sure, sure. Brett, anything? Well, I think the first time I watched it,
0: I thought um, that Demi Moore was a little bit of a stunt casting, you know? <laughs> but yeah. I mean, but she does a great job. So, she does. so give her a chance. Forget yeah. those labels. You know, Jasmine, stunt casting. Anything? Nah, that's a label. Um, so.
3: As an adult, no, but I would have to agree with you. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of real stuff being covered in this that I don't know I would want my four or five year old not that I have one, but hypothetically, to be <laughs> exposed to. So yeah. 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 I showed it to my middle school kids and it was some stuff that they were even <laughs> like like when Esmeralda comes around and it looks like she's pole dancing, yeah, the, the middle yeah. school boys oh, had a field day at <laughs> like that part. I so bet.
4: I yeah. bet I bet. I wonder if they were to reclassify now if it'd be like a PG <laughs> yeah, like 13. I don't, I don't know. know.
1: Probably PG, I would, say. Right, I would yeah, say. at, at least well, PG.
4: Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, like, I'm one of those where I understood, you know, they had the real stuff on, in there, so they had to splash some comedy and everything mm-hmm. like that. That's why we got the gargoyles, we have the goat in everything. Yeah. yeah. I love the we haven't even mentioned the goat yet. How can we even mention the goat? He wears my other earring. We got to mention the goat. But, like, for me, I'm one of those where if you're going to be real, kind of keep it real throughout the whole uh-huh. movie. Mm. If you're going to be kind of a jokey, you know, not jokey, but if you're going to have more fun with it, be more fun with it through the whole film and everything. And I'm not going to be started on Star Wars because of that. But, um, <laughs> <especially> <laughs> All right. Ones. But um, for me, it'd, it'd just be the real versus the, I guess, the not real.
2: Yeah, I, I I would agree with that too. There, there's something about the drawings of um, of the of Quasimodo and and Frollo even and Esmeralda that it's it, so it is it's very realistic. It's like I I mean it it kind of I think it strays away from what kind of maybe some of the, the fantasized versions that that Disney, Disney did before. But I, I do agree that the, the I mean that, that might be one kind of area that I would agree with is that the statues and gargoyles to me are a little more you know they're, it's more romanticized and fun and yeah it's just yeah.
4: Well, even, like, Esmeralda chucks the the knight's uh, or the guard's helmet Uh and just ping-pongs between all of them and lands right above Phoebus (laughs) and,
2: what a woman! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah, well, thank you all so much for being with us today. Absolutely. This has been a really fun time. It goes by quick, doesn't it? It it's, does. uh, It flies by. But we would love to have each and every one of you back on uh, the show at some point. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of Tech Week. I know yeah. that you're really busy right now, but it seems like you've got a great show coming together. Let's remind people again how to get tickets, when you're yes. going to be doing it all. And I'm
2: going to put you on the spot this right. time. So we open um, Friday. Um, tomorrow. Uh, yes, tomorrow. tomorrow, April 5th. 6th and 7th, and then as well as the 12th, 13th, and 14th. Uh, showtimes are 8 p.m. for Fridays and Saturdays and 2 PMs for Sundays. You can get your tickets at HTCFA.org. Did H-T-C-F-A. I say that right? C-O-T-F-A. There you go. <laughs> Hogan Center for the... <laughs> yes. Um, or 5... What is two, five, why two why don't we just say five, two, field? three, there. <laughs> For the people Huggler,
1: that, uh, the Huglin thanks you for that, Brad. I'm, I'm sure. sure. Uh, but yes, yeah, so Sorry. you can definitely come and check that out. As for us, this is our main feed episode, so you're listening to us from the Front Row Network feed. Please follow us on over to our Beyond the Mouse feed as well because uh, we've got a feed-only episode of Brett's Disneyland vacation coming up. Brett, this Vanessa month. and and um, and Erica's yeah, vacation. Yes. which will be a lot of fun. We have yes. a, a lot of things uh, planned for the near future. We should get a lot of information about Star Wars and Disney Plus mm-hmm. coming out of Star Wars Celebration next week. So we're just so excited. It's so it's such a great time to be a Disney fan. It uh, is. And, as I mean, I. I just live and breathe this stuff because it's just so much fun uh, to see how everything evolves and what they're bringing into either the screen or what they're bringing to their parks or whatever else they've got us roped into following the wrong clip as well. So thank you all so much again, and thank you for listening. Uh, For Beyond the Mouse and for the Front Row Network, I am Craig. And I'm Brett. Jacob. Jasmine. And Wes. And we'll see you real soon in the Front Row. Thanks, guys. It's a wrap. That's a wrap.